0: The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Reversal of Misfortune Practical Insights for Managing Uncontrolled Factor 10A Inhibitor Related Bleeding. Access the entire activity and complete the post test at peerview.com forward slash GRP860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you all for showing up and wee hours to this talk appreciate it. Um, we're here today to talk about reversal agents, which has been an interest of mine across the last couple of decades. And I'm uh, honored to be joined by Dr. Frank Peacock from Baylor College of Medicine. Thank Thanks. You. Uh, reversal of misfortune, uh, managing uncontrolled factor 10A inhibitor bleeding, and some practical insights uh, is the topic of the day. It used to be pretty simple, just warfarin, Vitamin K, plasma, that was all you needed to know. And now it's, of course, quite a bit more complex and we'll get into it. So our objectives for today are to give you guidance on selecting the right reversal agents, teach you the difference between the dosing and the the speed of reversal, uh, and help you work on a team-based approach to providing these reversal agents at the bedside in order to achieve the best outcomes for our patients we'll first talk about identification and differentiation of doac reversal agents indications and mechanisms of action And that's me TJ Milling from the University of Texas Dell Medical School departments of neurology and surgery so the other than warfarin the anticoagulants that we still we deal with the most are really apixaban and rivaroxaban some adoxaban batrixaban it's kind of a weird one off. It, it was actually made by the same company that made the reversal agent, IndexNet, uh, but not broad adoption. Now, the current label for IndexNet based on the, the Annexa 4 trial only covers a Pixaban and Rivaroxaban, but there is a Doxaban data. And using IndexNet may technically be off label for a Doxaban or even Batrixaban if you happen to catch one of those patients. Uh, but the mechanisms are the same. And the, the data is pretty robust, it's for doxaban anyway. Dabigatran, the lone direct thrombin inhibitor. <clears throat> the history of DTIs is kind of interesting in that, uh, you know, the very first one that came out, zimilegatran, was actually pulled for liver t- toxicity. So was was formulated to be almost entirely renally cleared and was the first DOAC out. So we saw lots of bleeding on dabogatrin for about two years, and then river Oxibang and apixaban came out, and very quickly sort of overwhelmed dabogatrin here. But uh, having been made by Boringer-Ingelheim, uh, you still see a fair amount of dabogatrin in Germany. Uh, so moving on. Then, of course, dabogatrin has its own reversal agent, which is a, a monoclonal antibody. I dare you, it says MAB, monoclonal antibody. Um, as opposed to the Factor approach, which was used for and the reversal of the whole class of anti-10A drugs. So the reason, I mean, when we trained, it was simple, right? We just had Warfarin, the the rat poison from the University of Wisconsin uh, from the 19-teens, and the reversal agent. Plasma really didn't work, but we'd just gotten PCC approved in about 2013 when the problem changed. When we had all these, and frankly, build a better bounce trap, they were better than warfarin, right? We saw so many warfarin bleeds, and we see a lot less with DOAX. Uh, but we didn't have a reversal agent, so it's like, what, is, what if they brought upon us? We finally got a warfarin reversal agent that worked, PCC, and then, and then we suddenly had new anticoagulants. How do we reverse them? But it's easy sitting in the ER seeing the complications to forget just how beneficial these drugs are overall and why 7.5 million people are now on factor 10A inhibitors in the US because they're the best way to treat an ICH is never to get it. And these drugs are much more effective, are, are still effective in stroke prevention, as effective, but have much less ICH, um, which is the most feared anticoagulant uh, complication and the shorter half-lives and rapid onset it's just and much easier to manage than Lobinox bridging to warfarin so they're still underutilized and this was true in the warfarin era and it's still somewhat true in the DOAC era just of the people who have a you know, chads vast score that would indicate anticoagulation, somewhere around half, actually get anticoagulated. I'm not sure why this is, but it's disappointing, right? There's a lot of strokes, almost a million strokes a year happening that probably a, a significant proportion of those are unnecessary if they were treated appropriately. But if they are treated appropriately, if all those people are anticoagulated, we could expect to see more uh, bleeding, because you know somewhere around one percent or less of these people will have a major bleeding complication in any given year, which means we will need reversal agents more often. And in a, in a very strange roundabout way, having more bleeding would actually be a good thing because it would indicate more people are being appropriately treated and anticoagulated for their stroke risk. It's an old hematology saying: if you have a choice between treating bleeding and thrombosis treat bleeding, it's easier. That's true. Once the clot is there, it's a lot harder to treat. So the mechanism of action for the DOAX, the factor 10A inhibitors, of course, affect 10, which uh, along with 5 is part of the prothrombinase complex that converts 2 to 2A. And then the direct thrombin inhibitors directly affect 2A. So the two reversal agents, and these two trials ran concomitantly, the uh, Annexa Four trial and the reverse AD trial, uh, Charlie Pollock's trial. Uh, Both were single cohorts without control groups because at the time anyway, and these trials started around 2015, 2016, there was no acceptable control and it was felt unethical to give placebos to patients who were bleeding to death. So both of these, and just imagine the heart, the consent discussion at the bedside. Well, I'm either going to give you sugar or, or I'm going to give you an, an agent that mechanistically we know reverses this anticoagulant that's likely going to cause you to bleed to death. That's kind of hard to get people to consent to. Um, so andexanet uh, alpha, which is the, fa- the factor approach to reversal for uh, 10As. It's a re- recombinant modified factor 10A molecule. It's a, 10, uh, factor 10 is a serine protease. <clears throat> Remember those from med school? So you replace the serine with alanine uh, and you cut off the other end of the molecule, which is where the GLA domain, where it complexes with factor 5. So you don't want it cleaving prothrombin to thrombin. You don't want the other end binding factor 5 because that would make it an anticoagulant. So you end up with this inert decoy that still binds to the inhibitor and sweeps it out of the way so your native factor 10 can function in the clotting cascade and form a clot. The antibody approach, which I say, is, is, uh, is just that. A monoclonal antibody that binds a drug, sweeps it out of the system. Both of these drugs work very quickly. Both were based on single cohorts. Um, then we just published the final Annexa 4 cohort in May of this year in circulation. It's, it's these, dro- these drugs, like it becomes an entire season of your life, 10 years from from inception of the idea to actually finishing the trials and getting approval. And, of course, the randomized trial of Ndexinet will be presented at the World Stroke Conference in about three days, uh, which will further, uh, we hope, solidify the use of this drug for for 10A reversal. We'll talk a little bit about the trial design in today's conference. Frank, do you want to talk a little bit about the factor 11 inhibitors since uh, We talked about, you know, maybe the game is about to change again. And just when you solve the problem, there's a different problem, but it may not be a problem. Yeah, this is a
0: I'm Frank Peacock, I'm from Baylor. And this is going to be a game changer again, because we move further up the you know, you got the coagulation cascade. We're going to take one arm out instead of two. That's a big deal. So in theory, you can cut your finger, and you still clot. with all the other ones, you cut your finger, you bleed all over. So the safety parameter probability, and this one's really high. Um, it's going to be new. It's going to be expensive, and the trial is done and will be reported in, a, in like three days. So we'll have no. But it's it's going to be a game changer.
1: Yeah. So factor 11 inhibitors. There is actually I I know there there is a monoclonal antibody reversal agent for factor 11A. Uh, I mean it's a long way from approval. It's in but it is it does, it does exist. However, it'll probably be rarely used because the bleeding with these drugs is so um, low. So I think this word back to you actually for. All right.
0: So, so I'm at Baylor uh, County Hospital. We don't have two sticks to rub together, you know, we're poor. Uh, the, these drugs have been <clears throat> a fight from the beginning. Uh, generally, me and the neurosurgeon, the trauma surgeons are all on the same side and the therapeutic committee is against us. And it's a dollar thing. If these drugs were $12, there'd be no question. But because they're expensive, we have to fight about it. And so that's where we are. I'm gonna show you the guidelines. Before I get onto that, I wanna say, look at this poster here. I work with a lot of CME companies. I give toxic cardiology meetings, and they say, oh, we can't show blood and ugly things. And I go, it's an anticoagulation reversal conference but well, we can't show that in the morning to cardiologists. And I said, well, these are emergency docs, and we're talking about stopping this. So that's, I love peer Peerview. Thank you for putting that up there. All right, so these are the, <coughs> the reversal guidelines for ADNXA, and they're based on different organizations, and it's important to see that. The very first one up there is the emergency medicine panel. We put it together about four years ago. TJ was on it, I was on it, um, a bunch of folks who do this research, and we came up with it. And NEXA should be the first-line drug because it is targeted. All the data we have, which at the time was even less than we have now, show a benefit. So that's emergency medicine point of view. Guideline-based, it is not a randomized uh, placebo-controlled trial. ACC, American College of Cardiology, first-line with major site or critical bleeding. American College of, Gar- of Gastroenterology could be considered. now. Think about the gastroenterologists; They see GI bleeds. They don't see head bleeds. They don't see retina bleeds. They don't see ruptured aortas. This is, do you have a GI bleed? If you look at the mortality associated with GI bleeds and the DOAX, it's very low. I published a study a few years ago. 45,000 patients on rivaroxaban. 14 died. Eight were intracranial hemorrhage. Six were GI. So six out of 45,000 And that's why they have the most conservative statement of all, is because they have the least risk of all. It's not zero, that's why it could be considered, but it's not mandated. Anticoagulation forum, if you're on it, you can require it. Um, The American society, ASH, American society hematology, says stop the bleeding drug, that's really smart. And, uh, And you can use it. And then ESO at the bottom, if they're on it and they have intracranial hemorrhage. So the society's all think it's reasonable, and the higher the risk of the situation, the more reasonable it becomes. This is Fidercizumab. <clears throat> now, I run a conference in Utah, uh, we have about 200 emergency docs, and I, one year I asked them, how many of you have seen a warfarin-related death? 100% raised their hand. I said, how many of you seen a rivaraxaban or a apixaban-related death? And like three raised their hand, and I asked about, um, the biggest trend, and nobody raised their hand. It's not that it doesn't have risk, but because the penetration of the American market is so small, you're not gonna see a lot. But this is the same um, moniker as before. Uh, emergency medicine physicians think that a targeted reversal agent is the way to go. ACC, American College Cardiology, first line agent, gastroenterology, selective use may be appropriate. Anticoagulation forum, if there's, uh, it is warranted, ASH, if they have life-threatening bleeding, and then ESO and adult patients with ICH. So pretty much the same thing as you saw with the DEXA. Now this is PCC. And so in the United States, four-factor PCC, Casentra is what we have. And this becomes a little less clear because at the time of the writing of these guidelines in the last few years, we didn't have any head-to-head data. So emergency physician side comes PCC for DOAC reversal only if you don't have access to a DEXANET or Adiracizumab De- uh, for their specific agent. ACC, if you don't have access to the first line agents, gastroenterologist may be clinically justified. Anticoagulation forum, if Adiracizumab is not available or the DEXnet's not available, you can use uh, PCC. ASH, life-threatening bleeding as treatment for VTE, and then ESO, PCC is second line. So it's pretty clear that if you have a patient with an identifiable anticoagulation associated bleed, you should use the appropriate agent for that, and that's the targeted agent, not the um, more broad reversal. Now, this is the next one, and these are not really built for emergency docs, but these are the definitions of life-threatening bleeding or critical sites. So, the BARC definition is a five-gram drop of hemoglobin. I don't think I've ever seen a five-gram drop of hemoglobin in the ER, because when they're bleeding out, they can bleed to death, and their hemoglobin will still be 12, because they bled out and they're dead. And so, these are for, obviously, up on the floor and later. But if there's a lot of bleeding going on, you should consider that and treat them appropriately. ISTH is two grams. I have seen two gram drops, but those are people who spend a long time in the AR. Critical sites is a lot easier. These tend to be closed spaces where bleeding is gonna kill the organ and the brain is number one. So, any side, my feeling on this, and, and I may be uh, a little more vociferous than most people, but my, thing, my feeling is, if there is any blood in your head at all, you deserve a reversal because only one thing could happen, and that is it gets bigger. It's not going to get smaller, uh, and, and if I don't reverse it, it'll be ugly. Eyeball spine, airway, pericardium, aorta. I had a guy come in uh, with a bleed into his epiglottis. You've never seen anything more scary than that, because what am I gonna do, cut him and give him a crike? Because he's already bleeding. Uh, so those kind of things, you have to be really, move quickly on and stop it, because once it becomes bad, it's, there's no reversal. And if you need emergency surgery, and it's gotta be real surgery, it can't be appendectomy. If, if you have an appendectomy, I'll give you antibiotics and park you till tomorrow. But if your aorta is dissecting and you have to go to the OR because you're blown out a valve, you gotta move, and those people get reversed. <clears throat> this is a, a bit of a complicated graph, but what it's supposed to show you in, in the direct 10A inhibitor box in the middle here is that the time of these agents and their reversal is important. So REVA or apixaban is 18 hours or less. So if you're 24 hours out, the bleeding is not due to an anticoagulant, it's, it's due to the hole in the vein or the artery. Adoxaban's a little shorter. Um, I've never seen an adoxaban-related bleed. I know they exist, but it's not a, a high-use 10A inhibitor in the US. And is the reason it was developed was to replace Lovenox. So the idea is we're not gonna give you a shot every day for um, Hemo uh, for VTE prophylaxis, an inpatient will give you a pill. So it's got a really long half life, like 24, or like uh, it's, it's present for 24 hours, which is its intended use. I've never seen a batrixaban related bleed either because it's got really poor market penetration and it's a hospital drug. Nobody goes home taking Batrixaban. I mean, in theory, you could, but it's a very tiny thing. Fondaparinux is the same story there, 17 to 21 hours. And then thrombin, um, you know, heparin, unfractionated heparin. We've always had a reversal agent, protamine, um, and that stuff doesn't stay around long at all. So turn off the drip, and you'll be fine in a couple hours. Um, if something bad's happened, we do have a reversal. And warfarin, you know, it's the one drug I wish would go away. It won't. Uh, it's still indicated for um, for valves, and as long as we have valves, we're going to be stuck with this because. All the studies with the DOAX, they have more bleeding and more strokes, so it's gonna to be tough to get that reversed. But we have four-factor PCC, uh, Cassintra. It works immediately, it's excellent. Uh, I used to use uh, plasma because it's cheap and I'm in a county hospital. And I did that until the one time I gave this guy a liter of plasma, and that's what it takes. It was actually the guy with uh, a bleed into his epiglottis, and he immediately went into heart failure. It's like, ah, oh, crap, I'm not making things better, I'm making it worse. And so I don't use plasma anymore. It's cheap, but complications are expensive, and I don't want any more of those. So it is the perfect agent for uh, warfarin. So these are the dosing parameters on how to use it. You know, if uh, uh, the VKA's warfarin is all based on what's the INR. The challenge with this, if you're bleeding in the head, my Pharmacy and therapeutics, dude, won't give me the PCC, the Kisintra, until I tell him the INR. And I'm going, the guy's bleeding in the head, it's gonna take an hour for me to get that test. And so we've now moved to uh, single based dosing. And that's based strictly on um, how dangerous the bleed is. So if it's in the head, they get 1,500. And if it's, if it's any place else, they get 1,000. And I don't have to wait for the INR. I think that's a big improvement. Uh, DTI. Uh, direct thrombin inhibitors, dabigatran. So when do you give the adiracizumab? First line drug, give them five grams. And uh, everybody writes, give them activated charcoal. I think that's insane. It's in the guidelines, it's in the, I, the package inserts. And when you see these people nine hours after they took their pill, what good do you think that is doing? Uh, not a whole ton. So I've never given activated charcoal, although that's off-label to say that. Uh, it, it, it is on every single label. 10A inhibitors it's Adexnet alpha, as the first thing, and they have charcoal listed too. Same story there, and then Patrixaban, the which is the the long acting player. <clears throat> now you look at this, and these seem a little bit contradictory. Some of these boxes here, and the reason is this is the ACG uh, guidelines, American College of uh, um, ACOG, as a, of gastroenterology, and these are the guide, uh, guidelines from gynecology, but. They, they choose PCC rather than fresh frozen for warfarin. Good. Bigetran suggests the use of adiracizumab. Rivaroxaban suggests the, against the use of dexanet alpha. And who are the doctors that are making this recommendation? These are doctors who don't take care of head bleeds. I think that is, it is uh, fallacious to tell me to not use that drug in intracranial hemorrhage. GI bleeding, you know, Vaginal bleeding, that's a different animal. You can stabilize those people. You don't need to use an expensive drug all the time. If they're bleeding out, you should use it. But you do have options uh, otherwise, And, and they're not necessarily reversal options. They're supportive care options, which actually work. And then the DOACs, they suggest just against PCC administration, so I look at this as being a little bit contradictory, but that's what these things say. And with that, I'm gonna turn this back to TJ. Hi.
1: All right, so <clears throat> talk about the efficacy data on the reversal agents. Um, wanted to talk about this trial in terms of design, but it's reporting out in a few days at World Stroke Conference in Toronto, which... Uh, so as, as I said you know, early on, there was consensus that we're using a... a but well, there was no consensus on what an active control should be for a trial like this back in 2015. <clears throat> and placebo-controlled struck everyone um, as unethical in a patient who's, you know, they're selected for because they're bleeding to death. So we ended up with the single-cohort trials in Exa4 and for Idarucizumab the reverse-ID trials. But once the drug was you know conditionally approved by the FDA, contingent on um, doing a randomized trial. So th- this is the randomized trial, which was initially designed for 450 patients, And uh, after it was launched, additional funding became available in order to create an adaptive trial model that could extend to 900 um, if certain pre-specified criteria were met at 450. Ultimately, at the interim analysis of 450, the additional patients weren't needed because it met its pre-specified criteria for efficacy. So uh, it is a randomized trial between and it's an open-label trial between NDEXnet and usual care. And I, I get a lot of questions about, why didn't you just randomize with KCentra? Well, as much as <laughs> here in the US, or in a lot of places in the US, everybody thinks, well, KCentra is, is what we're using because we have it, um, that's not true around the world. Uh, in fact, there are places even in the US that use activated PCC, like FIBA, uh, instead, low-dose FIBA instead of KCentra there are places that use three-factor PCC. And around the world, that is uh, also true, that different centers have different usual care. And standardizing that in a fairly rare presentation, in order to do a global randomized trial in a reasonable amount of time before we all retire um, uh, or get too old to do this, uh, required a, a usual care, which, you know, it's more generalizable anyway, a usual care arm, which can encompass everything. I should say there's a fair amount of places that do nothing Uh, because they, uh, and that's the purest approach, right? Until there's randomized data, how can you say that nothing is is inferior to something until you've randomized? So that's how we ended up with a usual care control arm in this trial, uh, which 80 plus percent of uh, is expected to be, you know, PCC of some formulation in the control group. Um, Oh, and and narrowing it entirely to IC8, so in Exa 4, encompassed all major bleeding, even though two-thirds of it was ICH. There were GI bleeds there, there were some uh, epist- there were a couple of cases of epistaxis, hematuria, I think there might have been one pericardial bleed, where NXI next I is specifically ICH. And the reasoning for that is just, it's so hard to measure hemostatic efficacy outside the brain. I mean, it's hard enough inside the brain, right? I mean, if you had a, perf- a perfect scenario where you could CAT scan them, give them the drug, and, and then Uh, immediately and then CAT scan them again at some period thereafter, then the the head would be almost perfect. You can measure hematoma now, measure it later and look at the change. The truth is we all know in reality that hours happen between when the scan gets done and the drug gets in and things are going on that you're not seeing with your camera. But still it's better in the head than anywhere else. So the idea is At least we can be more certain that we're actually measuring an effect in the head as opposed to trying to measure things like hemoglobin drops and GI bleeds, which are dependent on co-infusions of saline because hemoglobin is a concentration. It's fuzzy. It's fuzzy outside the head. It's a little bit fuzzy in the head, but it's really fuzzy to measure hemostatic efficacy outside the head. Thus, an ICH trial to better measure the effect of the drug. So I think we've already talked about this. Oh, the, the primary endpoint. So the neurologist, if we were speaking at ISC right now, I'd be peppered with questions about, why didn't you just use the Rankin scale? <laughs> the Rankin scale, the functional scale, which all the stroke trials do. But this isn't, of course, this isn't strictly speaking a stroke trial. It's an ICH trial, which includes traumatic ICH and spontaneous ICH. Not Maybe not apples and oranges. but. Granny Smith versus Red Delicious. It's not, it's not the same thing. And also, uh, uh, these endpoints of large changes in NIH stroke scale and hematoma volume as a, as a uh, as surrogate endpoint, these are fairly well-validated um, uh, for a one-dose drug in the setting of a reversal trial and coming out of all the precedent in the reversal trials from Kcentra through idarecizumab and inexafor, 4 these were the, the endpoints used. And also, of course, if you use rescue, therapy, the rescue therapies during that, that would be a failure of hemostatic efficacy as well. So these are the, the endpoints. One, hemostatic efficacy, which has precedent all the way back, you know, 20 years to the beginning of reversal trials and then large changes in the NIH stroke scale, which is also a validated measure. Greater, you know, six is a big jump, right? That's not a, that's not a subtle change in their neurologic status uh, at 12 hours. So it had to meet both of those endpoints in order to establish efficacy over the control group. And these, Nexa R and A were, were in non-bleeding patients, and they were done before Nexa four even, uh, to establish efficacy prior to doing bleeding trials. Then you can see, and we've seen this play out in an EXA-4, and I'm sure it'll play out in an EXA-I. You, you get the reduction in anti 10 level very rapidly, and then a bit of a drift up to where you would see on a placebo line at four hours. <clears throat> uh, whereas stayed, they stayed down longer, uh, However, looking at hematoma, or hematoma expansion, ICH, there was, the the hematoma volumes did not increase between that four hour and and 12 hour measurement in the Anexa 4 trial. And now we're back to you, Frank.
0: Excellent, all right. Patient factors, the most important thing. So is bleeding life threatening? We talked about what the definition of that is. Big hemoglobin drop, that sort of thing. Is the site critical? The aorta, the brain. Will they require emergency surgery? The aorta again. <clears throat> Age is always a problem. You can't change it. The older they are, the more likely they are to die. Are they on other meds and comorbidities? And you know the fragile patients are fragile. You have to make sure that, that the hemorrhage is likely drug-related. So if they took their drug 24 hours ago, giving them a very expensive drug now is just wasting money. Uh, you know the, the reversal agents have no value after 24 hours. So that speaks to, you need to know when they took their last dose. Because for the Rivaroxaban and the Apixaban, after eight hours, you can half the dose you're supposed to get. Before eight hours, it's a double dose. Uh, the double dose, less than eight hours, a single dose, after eight hours, and less than 18. So you need to know when they take it, and these people bleed in their head, and they come in, I don't have the slightest clue. It's like, well, I assume everybody takes it at dinner, because that's what the package insert says, but I'm in the county hospital, a lot of my patients don't wear underwear. It's unlikely they're following their directions, so it's just the way it is. But this is an important thing. This is a Craig Coleman's study. Uh, he looked at a huge number of people, 14,000, uh, and looked at outcomes, and this is, uh, the people got a that's that dark green color on the far left, you want to be the lowest line of all these, all bleeds, GI bleeds, endocrinal hemorrhage. And a is there on every single one. And you look at, except for critical apartment, there is no bar because there were no patients with critical apartment bleeds. Uh, but even the big, you know, 21 out of 14,000 uh, for all, all combined is not a very big number. So it, every single case who got a index net. now this is a, a, you know a retrospective chart review. But before uh, the trials that are getting done this week, this was one of the best data we had because it's a huge number and you can get the idea that those patients getting a DEXnet do better. Um, TJ talked about this a bit. The worst thing that could happen in a head bleed is it gets bigger. Um, My shop, the rule is 60 cc's is considered futile. So a patient, if that person on the right came in uh, they would not get a dexnet because it's not going to change their outcome. Glasgow coma score less than eight and an intracranial volume an estimate intracranial hemorrhage volume of greater than 60 cc's. We we think that's in uh, unretrievably turnable. So you can see you don't want to have an intracranial bleed. The mortality a month is 40 percent. Um, and so if you get a bleed, you're in big trouble. And that's why the the tiniest little bleed, I don't. You know, my neurosurgeons are comfortable watching them, I am not. Uh, the tiny little head bleed, I, I'm pushing for a dexanet uh, if it's if it's one of the 10A inhibitors. <clears throat> so this is the hemostatic effectiveness study, uh, and you can see there a dexanet uh, is favored across the uh, inflection point of the one, on the, of the odds ratio, uh, and even when it crosses, it's still trended highly there for either um, overall or or intracerebral or intraventricular subgroup
1: analysis. And that was quick. Back to DJ. (laughs) So, looking at what's happening in our institutions today, I think everybody knows this. It's like we have... Everybody has PCC, so there's a lot of use of PCC um, for DOAC reversal. It would be handy, right, if if... Unfortunately, if have yeah, it actually worked, uh, if we had one thing that reversed everything. Actually, there's a drug that claims to do that that's still in development, That seroparentag, right? But it's been
0: in development for a
1: decade. It has been. It's been a long time. We should call them and see what's up with that. But uh, for the meantime, we actually have to think about mechanisms and the question uh, of whether PCC would be expected to work. I mean, there's some, you know, there's factor 10 in PCC, and we're talking about a factor 10 inhibitor. That sounds intuitive, right? The Problem is, if you do the stoichiometry, and this, we're not going to do it because it would require using Avogadro's number, and I can see the eyes glazing over when I mention Avogadro's number. Uh, but it, you you find that the number of molecules of factor 10 in a in a standard or even high dose of PCC is an order of magnitude lower than the number of molecules of factor 10a inhibitor such as a apixaban or rivaroxaban at a therapeutic level so you would expect pcc to work at maybe lower levels which of course is when you expect people to bleed less or at least have less involvement of the anticoagulant in in the bleeding scenario Um, but i understand the desire for simplicity believe me when you're in a busy you know deep into a busy er shift with lots of critical care it'd be nice if you didn't have to think about Avogadro's number. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the responses here aren't surprising. Um, that only a third have a, have it and the use is highly restricted. So it does. Uh, I think this the problems with the reconstitution you know, for it will go down as the use goes up. Right? Even in, when we use it, we still use it in, in in the trial. Actually, the trial has been stopped now, but. It, it did take the pharmacy. It felt like an inordinate amount of time to mix those vials for IndexNet and get it to the bedside. And, of course, time matters, right? And, and, and Particularly in ICH, hematoma expansion happens in the first few hours. And most likely, if you get them within those first few hours, you're towards the end of it, right? So you're really you're against the clock to try to stop that hematoma expansion, which, if you've seen it, it's pretty devastating. <coughs> How many times have you seen the GCS-15... You go do some. You come back, and they're heading toward three, and they and they'll get there if that hematoma expands. They they just are neurologically devastated. It's a disease that deserves our attention. Yeah, I, I agree with this. There should be predefined as you mentioned. Uh, very large hematoma, 60, I mean, the survivability of that's highly unlikely. Well, we can all pull one case out of the many that we've seen where the non-dominant side, they survive, but the vast majority of people with very large hemorrhages, uh, meaningful neurologic recovery is unlikely. And perhaps being a better steward of our resources <coughs> would, would tell us to use it in, in patients with the smaller hematomas before they get that big. Uh, and this is back to just you know, what, what is major bleeding? Life-threatening or in a place uh, that's confined where, you know, it's likely to destroy the organ or the patient, um, retroperitoneal, intercar- uh, pericardial, and of course, always inside the brain. The brain's in a box. There's nowhere for it to go uh, if if there's a space-occupying lesion that's getting bigger. <clears throat> So timing a last dose, this is just one paradigm in how you might think about uh, approaching the patient who might require reversal for major bleeding with a DOAC. But timing is important, and also, of course, renal function within that. So if a patient has normal kidneys and they took it over 24 hours ago, whatever bleeding scenario you're facing, the anticoagulant's probably not part of it. But if they have bad kidneys, the riveroxban or fixban could stick around for days. Right? So that's the caveat. It's like, well, what's the renal function? That's a, the resident says. Well, they took it a day, I'm you know, over a day ago, I don't have to worry about it, but their creatinine's three. Well, actually you do need to worry about it. Um, charcoal, really within the first hour at most too. And, and it's rare that we see them come in uh, on with, uh, within that very narrow window from last dose although I have occasionally seen somebody who fell, got a subdural, but was awake enough to take their evening dose, and then they, <laughs> <laughs> then they came in and was like, hey, yeah, that might be worth giving charcoal for. Um, yeah, okay, I think we've covered most of those. Sure, yeah, if you can see the bleeding and can use a tourniquet or direct pressure, that's reasonable. Um, so as far as you know, ways of measuring the anticoagulant, if you can get a rapid uh, heparin assay, most, most of us don't have, there are a few place, places in the world that have calibrated assays for a epixban and ribaroxaban where you can actually see their anti-10A level in a reasonable amount of time. I'm thinking one, of, one is in Switzerland, but, but nothing close to me. Uh, but you can get a, a, a good sense from the heparin assay, 0.4 Point four above their anticoagulated um, Below 0.4, probably don't have to worry about it. You can get a really rough cut with PT for rivaroxaban, but not for apixaban. It's different drug distributions. But if the PT is elevated with a rivaroxaban patient, then they're anticoagulated. And if it's not, they're probably not. And if you can get a dilute thrombin time for dabigatran, if you happen to see one of those, that's a useful marker. The PTT can be a rough cut for uh, dabigatran. So I should say that in preparation for this question, so Ndexanet will also um, make it very difficult to heparinize someone. So it has a short half-life, so if you were to give it early on in a bleeding presentation, say for someone who had a aortic dissection and needed an endovascular graft and needed heparinization thereafter, you might uh, wanna give endexinet early so that you're not dealing with the difficulty of heparinization during a, during a surgical procedure. So multi, yes, it's always good to communicate. For us, we sort of sit in the middle communicating with the consultants and the pharmacy and uh, uh, as emergency physicians. But yeah, buy-in all across that continuum is really important.
0: Hey, I want to tell a story. And I'm sure this is something y'all have happen. As I went to my my P&T committee and said, I want to get uh, a DexNet on the formulary. I said, oh no, it's very expensive. We can't do that. I said, well, here's the data. And it's like, okay, we'll do it. And we got it. And I had to sit on a committee and review everyone. It was painful. And about a year or two in it, we have another meeting. And they say, hey, what we're gonna do is, you can't use it unless the neurosurgeons are consulted. And everybody went around the room and said, oh, they, you know, yay, this is great, blah, blah. And it got to me and I said, I don't give a crap. You all do what you want, but I wanna thank the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee for decreasing my medical legal risk. Because there is no way there's gonna be a neurosurgeon in here to consult at four in the morning on Christmas But it'll be your fault. So you're going to get sued and not me. I'll be glad to testify. (laughs) And they took that away. Because ultimately, you're at the bedside. Nobody else is at 4 in the morning. And that person's got a head bleed, and you don't do something about it. You know whose fault it is? It's yours. So this is one of those things you need to fight for your patients. Anyway, that's my story. (laughs) All right, this is Rose. And that's her subdural. And that's enormous. And I'd have to talk to my radiologist about, does that hit the 60cc threshold? Because a Glasgow scum with score of nine and a hemorrhage greater than 60Cs in my department does not get reversed because of the cost, does not justify the outcome. And the outcome is this lady is gonna be pronounced dead in three days, which is a terrible thing, but I can't do anything about it. First rule of emergency medicine is patients die, and second rule is you can't change rule number one. This is how it's gonna be, so. The uh, hematoma expansion is quick. Usually occurs in the first few hours after you identify the bleed. Timely administration of the appropriate anticoagulant reversal agent will achieve rapid hemostasis and is likely to have a benefit. Specific reversal agents uh, are available and are indicated by most of the societies as first-line treatment with PCCs as second-line treatment if you don't have first-line treatment. And there's still lots of places in the United States that don't have uh, direct reversal agents. And you know, lots of small hospitals in the country and uh, urgent cares and that sort of thing where they can do a CAT scan, freestanding emergency departments may not have it. So plan B is Kacentra. Real-world data suggests that Adexin Alpha is superior and we'll have the prospective trial in three days. And, and be able to close this, this box uh, on October 12th.
1: So, I see a question popped up here. Can you use NDEXA for someone who already got four-factor PCC for a significant ICA? Um, oh, that's I mean, a it's great question. question. <laughs> Those patients would have been excluded from the trial, so we're, we're stuck with just sort of mechanistically speaking with this, what would the thrombotic risk uh, be? I, I would expect to be, be kind of high, right? So you just overloaded him with, with two, seven, nine, and 10. Uh, which is the four factors in a, a four-factor PCC, and then you're going to give a recombinant 10 on top of that. Uh, most of the, I mean, realistically, most of the time, we get one bite at the apple, right, if you're going to stop a hematoma expansion. So you have time to give one drug, and people say, well, if the, the bleeding continues, then you can reassess. If the bleeding continues, the cat's out of the bag, and it's too late to do anything. I think the question, if you're asking, would I give, if I suddenly Somebody had already gotten PCC. Maybe they got it at another facility, and yeah, they were transferred. They were transferred
0: from the from the freestanding ER down the street. Yeah, I an hour later it. in my department, I'm going like, "You're still bleeding."
1: Yeah, I mean, if the, if it, but inside the head, if still bleeding means probably dead at that point. Um, it's bleeding somewhere else, and I, maybe I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give you a definitive answer. It kind of would depend on the patient, but most likely, I would I would be very worried about giving endexenet on top of PCC.
0: Your worry would be a theoretical vert, uh, concern for thrombosis, right. which is an immediate concern for death. Right. So I would take the, and I'm more aggressive, mm-hmm. obviously, and we have no data. We're in a data-free zone. Yeah. But I would absolutely uh, give the patient the Adexa if an hour into it the four-factor PC was not working, because as you said, you have one bite of the apple. Right. Yeah, one bite of the apple will save this dude's life, and sure. if I don't do anything and he's and he's obviously bleeding, getting worse that means your first stuff didn't work. It's time for plan B. No, and, I think that's true. and you, you make clot. I mean, that's, right. all the studies have a measurable clot risk when you do this. But that person who was on an anticoagulation had a huge clot risk before this started, and you can't go back in history. So they will have a clot risk. And when you turn off their drug, it will seem larger. You didn't make it bigger, it the same risk they had before they got put on the anticoagulant. And your only hope is to stop the bleeding when they're bleeding badly. If they're not bleeding badly, you don't do anything. Wait, the drug will wear off.
1: See an interesting question here about an emergency cardiac or aortic surgery case, patient with onapixaban. So they're reversed with n and they have post-op bleeding. What would you consider the indications for redosing? Again, we're probably in a data-free zone. There is a, it's designed, I don't think it's actually enrolled, but a, a surgical trial to answer some of these questions. But in general, we would expect that you would use the the infusion of indexnet, just intuitively would be the duration of the surgery. So hopefully you wouldn't have, but you could still have post-op bleeding, right? Because we know you're gonna return, within a couple hours, you're gonna return to that placebo curve. So theoretically, you could, you could get some post-op bleeding from that. Um, and again, it's a data-free zone. If the bleeding's life-threatening and the indexnet's worn off and the 10A inhibitor has not, I don't see why it would be unreasonable to give another dose the key is
0: the timing of the dexonet so if you're at the 24 hour window they're bleeding because the surgeon didn't put enough stitches in right if they're at the at the eight hour window because things went through quick they still have active drug on board and the dexonet wears off i mean and you may have to give a redose if all the timing clocks have to line up right to do it but you can come up with a scenario where that happens
1: do you want to answer this i don't use a lot of tag but the, someone's asking about the utility of tag and deciding on the use of reversal agents
0: <clears throat> tag is great i'm doing a big trial on it right now here's the challenge with tag is it takes me a good hour to get it and if you're bleeding to death i'm sitting there going like you took your head what is it you took your reva spin four hours ago i'm not waiting an hour and so i wish tag was quicker it just isn't
1: and this other question is about, about, about preparation administration so Currently, it takes an hour it takes an hour, and that's unfortunate because that's an hour during which hematoma expansion is likely occurring right um, It takes an hour to prepare indexnet at our facility. And do I hope that it, it, and presuming well, we know from the press release that that it was stopped for efficacy, right so if we have a net clinical benefit shown in a randomized trial, broader use, I can foresee a day <laughs> so I have a dream, I have a dream that It'll become like TPA for, for ischemic stroke, right? You'll have, you'll have a door to needle time uh, for IndexNet in the setting of, of factor 10A associated ICH. And we'll all get better and faster at getting it in the patients.
0: We have a live question. Maybe I'm the only one who's confused. It was not clear to me whether the criteria for using it was a major bleed or even a very small bleed based on. Dr. Peacock's assessment that small bleeds, if you ignore them and say, well, I won't treat it because it's not big, then an hour later, it doesn't meet the criteria. So a major bleed is all those hemoglobin drops, which I don't have much.
1: uh, Or bleeding into a critical organ like that. I I was getting there.
0: So it's a major bleed is a volume or a space. So any bleed in your head is a major bleed. And any bleed in your eyeball is a major bleed or your spinal cord a bleed in your buttock can wait for a long time. And so it's either a lot of blood, like a retroperitoneum hematoma, I can't compress it, I can't get at it, and you're gonna die. So a lot of blood there would be a problem. A small amount of blood in the retroperitoneum, I'm not sure. But anything in a, in a closed space is gonna be a problem. And, and time is, is cells, you've got minutes. So the location is, is probably much more important than the volume of? Absolutely, for the critical sites. And that's why the the, the mortality of a head bleed is something like 40 or 50 percent. The mortality of a GI bleed is much lower. Thanks. How long does it take to work when you have a small, say, cranial bleed? So I'll take a whack at that and let TJ it too. The onset of these reversal agents is two or three minutes. They're very fast. Thank you, Doctor. It was a very nice presentation. You you spoke recently about the ischemic stroke, and I remember we have some patients taking Dabigatran. We sometimes use uh, IderucisuMab
1: and then TPI. Uh-huh. Can this be done with an ex- and exam? Can it be done? Yeah, has it been done? <laughs> uh, I don't think there have been any case reports yet. It, we, we actually designed a protocol um, that we were, have not managed to actually push forward a trial, but reversal of anticoagulation for thrombolysis. I mean, it's a valid question. There's, a, there's some case series for, I dare you say, Zababit and Davigatrin uh, reversal. And then for, these are for patients who arrive with an they've stroked through their anticoagulant, which actually does happen a fair amount of time. So you can't obviously give thrombolysis, or you, we believe that you can't give thrombolysis in the setting of an anticoagulated patient, right? So why not reverse the anticoagulant and then thrombolize them to try to break down the, the clot wherever it is in their brain? That's the idea. And there's, there's a lot more evidence for that, for, dab, for dabigatrin and its reversal agent than there is for indexin it. Uh, but it's a very interesting idea.
0: We don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you all so much for coming this morning. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash grp860. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca LP.